Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Good morning, 1850-715-996. As always, the number to call, the text or WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. And of course, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. You can send us a message, mark it for the attention of the Opinion Line. Plenty to do this morning. I'd like to know what you think about this vaccine controversy. These stories, another one in the paper this morning claiming that a hospital in Tralee where they had some spare doses of vaccine, they gave them to construction workers in the hospital. And then over the weekend we heard about the Coombe Hospital in Dublin where spare vaccines at the end of a shift were given to family members of staff. In, in, in fact, given at one point to two members of the family of the master of the Coombe Hospital. What should happen with spare doses? There is now a protocol in place. The HSE published one on the 12th of January. But what should happen to spare doses of vaccine? Uh, Because they only have a very short life. I'd like your thoughts on that uh, during the morning at 1850-715-996. Also, loads of fines for the breaches of the 5k limit. We saw where uh, there's this uh, road bowling event up around Burnfort or Bottle Hill there between Bottle Hill and Mallow. 50 people out road bowling without a care in the world. Fair play to the guards. They broke it up and they lashed out fines right, left and centre. And then there was that idiot who drove... I'm sorry, there's no other word. That idiot who drove down from Westmeath to Nohoval for a breath of air. All those and more, I'd like to hear your thoughts. But first of all, uh, I want to speak with Dr. Mary Favier. She's a GP here in Cork, and she's the COVID advisor to the Irish College of GPs. We've talked to Mary many times before. There was a story in the Sunday Independent at the weekend warning us that lockdown three, as we're calling it, could last until Easter, and that bars and restaurants and hotels might not open until the summer at the earliest. And Dr. Favier uh, has been speaking in the last 24 hours and saying we are still moving around too much and that this could indeed be quite a long lockdown if we don't tighten up even more than we have. Dr. Favier, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for taking our call on the opinion line. Wayne, you might boost that line a small bit for me. Mary, 
the streets, and I haven't been out because we've been confining, as they say, here at home for the last couple of weeks. I haven't been out. But what we hear is that the streets are an awful lot busier now than they were in March, April of 2020. That's, that's not going to work, is it? No, it's, it's a serious problem. I think any of us who do have to go out to work in the mornings, and it should only be people who have to go out to work, other, everybody else should work from home, notice that there is a lot more traffic. There's even some small traffic jams compared to last March when it was eerie, almost ghostly on the roads. So there is a difference this year, and we, we would ask people to really ask, do they have to be going out? Do they have to go out to work? Ask employers to, to really consider, is it important? Because the more we move around, this, this virus is spread by movement. It's spread by us coming too close to each other. It's spread by touch. And the more we move around, the more it was spread. Because if you think about it, the, if a virus comes into a family home, and unfortunately with this new variant, it appears that it's much more infectious. So as GPs, we're seeing not just one member of a family get it, but say all four or all five. But if it comes into a family home, theoretically, two weeks later, it shouldn't have gone any further. And it, within two or three weeks, all our cases should really be really dropping dramatically. But they're not. And if, if you look at all the data, for instance, that looks at road activity, how many cars are on the road, how many phones are moving around from one mobile fast to another, how, how much activity there is even through supermarkets, there's a, it's a lot busier than it should be. So we need to do something about it. I think last March, April, you had a combination of... I hate to use the word, but it's fair to say fear. People were frightened of the virus last March. And, and then one lockdown, we thought that'd be it. We'd be done and dusted. Numbers were really low in the summertime. And I think in the second lockdown, people have said, ah, to hell with it. I have to go to work. I have to go shopping. For goodness sake, I'm not doing that. The pubs are closed. Where can I go? I'm just going out for a spin. We need to get out of that mindset. I agree. I think fear did do us a favour in one way in March. The sheer terror of it, people were paralysed, but that wasn't, that wasn't good in the end. And also it, it created too much anxiety and terror in certain groups, particularly in mm. older people who, were, who needed to stay at home. I think they're still only recovering from that. So we have to be very careful that, that you know, some people need to go out, they need to go to work, they'll need to go and do their shopping, they need to take exercise. But for instance, I've had patients who've said, you know, they've gone to Woody's because they're bored or they go do their shopping every day of the week for something to do. We need to really look at that. And we need to ask what we're trying to achieve. These lockdowns are really, really hard. And as a GP, we're, we really see the impact on mental health of people, both those who've had mental health issues before those who have entirely new mental health health problems, particularly around anxiety. And then this well-discussed topic in the last week or two of the impacts of children with special needs and disabilities. I think that's been one of the most heartbreaking things as a GP to deal with. So we have to stop. We have to find a way of doing it. And that's reducing our contacts and not moving about. Like, is, is there a case to be made for just literally shutting down, slamming down, for three weeks, doing nothing, not moving for three weeks, like quarantine the whole lot of us, like you'd quarantine a family home, or at least to the extent where it's possible. I think there'd be a lot of actual population support for that. I think if you, in all the surveys, the, the community are very supportive of restrictions. The community are generally really good at, at obeying all the measures. 
And if we could literally stop in our tracks as best we can, other than, say, essential workers, truly essential workers, healthcare workers, yes, it would work. This, this, we could solve it in, in a number of weeks. And we've seen that done in other countries like Australia, where, where they just literally had an extraordinarily hard lockdown. But we have to have buy into that and everybody has to want to do it. And there are many groups that, that don't support that. So it's a political decision. Yeah, and it, and you know, like you said, there there is a lot. Seems to be a lot less support for it as we go forward. So it's hard to strike a balance. You have to try to keep the dressing room, and in a way, pre Christmas anyway, the government appeared to have lost the dressing room, and and now it's hard to win it back. But we must win it back. We must. I mean, we, we've gone into half time at Christmas, twelve twelve nil down. We now need to come up out and say each point we score will will be important we need to put our heads up do it together and say we can win this match we're in the second half it's going to be hard but we can do this by the early spring if we if we decide to and it's about all of us doing individual things and trying to support those who can't and not blaming. There's a lot of shame and blame around COVID, and I see it with patients that so-and-so gave it to so-and-so or brought it into the house. It's not a virus that that pays any attention to that. We need to all work together on it. Because unfortunately, otherwise, if our health services are going to continue to suffer indefinitely, uh, I mean, we've got such a large number of patients in hospital. We have such a large number of patients on ventilators. I see my own patients every day terrified about going to hospital often inappropriately they're even afraid to come into doctor's surgeries again inappropriately because we keep it safe and we really try to emphasize to people look non-covid illness goes on as well so people still have heart attacks and appendicitis can you reassure that uh, reassure people of of that mary because one of the constant things that come from those who are opposed to restrictions is, oh, everything else is on hold, nothing else is being treated, the whole health service has turned on a virus and nothing else is being treated. So what's the point of going to the doctor? They only care if you've COVID. Can you lay that one down for me and kill it? Well, I'm looking at my appointment schedule now on my computer screen in front of me in the surgery, and, and it's full. But none of it in my schedule at the moment is to do with COVID. Now, some of the other doctors are taking COVID calls. So every one of those patients sitting in front of me is there because one person has a bad shoulder, another person has problems with vitamin levels, another person needs to have his diabetes managed, another person had a stroke and needs, has recovery issues around that, and another man is having abdominal pain investigated. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other illness being managed. So yes, it is entirely appropriate. People make appointments. We're doing a lot of it over the telephone. We're only bringing people in to be seen after they've had a discussion on the telephone entirely appropriately so that we're not either bringing COVID into the practice or that somebody could risk getting it here. But our nurses are still busy. They're giving all the infant vaccines. They're doing all the blood testing. And it's really important to give a shout out to the practice nurses who have really kept GP surgeries ticking over and doing all this really essential work. And when it comes time to start vaccination in the community, which will be in the next number of weeks, you know, it'll be the GPs and the nurses delivering it. And we, again, will have everybody in doing all this routine work. Two, two brief ones, finally, uh, Mary. And this one comes in. It's coming a couple of times over the last few days. 
the guards are, are clamping down harder now on people outside the 5k and you're here telling us that we need to just stay at home and, and be, you know, be very hard on ourselves as it were for three weeks to try to get it under control but John says what's the point in all of that what's the point in people being fined for outdoor activity when so many people can come in from Brazil over the weekend without quarantine without being properly monitored a lot of people got in at the weekend into the country without proper monitoring we need to tighten up that end of it too don't we I think we've always needed to tighten up that end of it. It's been an effort recommendation from the beginning that we should have stricter quarantining and mandatory quarantining when people come in and testing. I think we're now potentially getting to a situation where we're realising that needs to happen. Now, to be fair to the Brazilian situation, anybody arriving from Brazil is has a two-week quarantine and they've got mandatory testing. Well, they've, they're being requested to be tested. But as we know, not everybody fills in those forms accurately. Not everybody is where they are when they're phoned to check up on them. And we do need to have a, a, a clearer policy around it. Yeah. But it's Hotels complex. would solve that problem, wouldn't they? Sorry, say that again? Ho- the use of hotels would solve that problem. Yes, it would. I mean, and I'm sure our hotel industry would be more than happy to have the business. But it's a complex situation because we've got a border. Would we apply it to that? Would people then come in, in into Belfast? So it's, it's a complex geopolitical issue. Mm. But we do need to address it. Unfortunately, the UK variant is here and now likely here to stay and is probably more than 50% of cases at this stage. But we do not need any other variants arriving, particularly ones we don't particularly understand. Finally, Mary, and briefly, do you have a, a, a thought at all on, it's the big talking point, I guess, in the newspapers this morning, on when at the end of a shift in a vaccination clinic there are some spare doses? Now, we appreciate that they, can't, they either use them or they lose them, but what should happen? I think the first thing is they should never be wasted, ever. So even if you have to go out on the street and randomly ask people on the street, do you, need, do you want a COVID vaccine? I think that's better than nothing. I think it's really important we have a priority system. We've already discussed it in our practice. We're going to be vaccinating initially the over 70s. So we'll start with the over 90s. We'll do the over 80s. We'll do the over 70s next. But even within that, because there's 10 doses in a vial, and in some cases there's 11, you need to always prepare what happens if you only have one dose taken out of a vial and there's nine or 10 potentially going to waste. But we'll have backup lists We'll call the next people down in the list. We'll call the vulnerables. I literally go next door if I have to and knock on the door of somebody I know who might have a health illness across the road or around the corner. It's really important that we pay attention to this because understandably, the population are really interested in vaccination and they're really interested in, in that it's fair, that it comes fast, first of all, but that it's fair. People don't mind waiting once there's, it's equitable and that they know that their 90-year-old granny will be getting it in due order as opposed to somebody 50 years younger with no health issues. So it's, it's really important and I think it must be seen to be as such and we're going to make it an absolute priority in general practice that we, we really prioritise who's going to get the vaccine. Now, we're in a great position to do it because we have all those lists. We, I could tell you straight away here who all our diabetics are, who all our people with bad chests are. So not wasting the vaccine is, is really important. Okay. Mary, I'll leave it there for today, and thank you very much, Dr. Mary Favier. She is a COVID-19 advisor to the Irish College of General Practitioners and, indeed, a GP here in Cork. 1850-715-996. We need to tighten up even more. If we want to get out of this, we need to stay at home. Stop going out for a spin. 
Stop going for a wander around Woody's. Stop going around to the supermarket five days a week. You don't need to get out to the supermarket for a walk five days a week. You just don't need it. You might like it, but you don't need it. And that's what she's saying. We need to just tighten up even more. Of course, there's an awful lot more open this time than there was in, in lockdown one. Like, why is... Okay, throw, and I'm, throw, I'm throwing the name out here for illustration and no other purpose. I have nothing against the place. I'm a regular there. Why is Woody's open? Can someone kindly tell me? Why is B&Q open? Can someone kindly tell me? Why is there a need for those places to be open? Why are the garden centres, if they're still open, why are they open? Why is so much stuff classed as essential this time? Because one of the reasons there was tumbleweed on the road in the first lockdown is loads of stuff just shut down. Why Why can I buy bedclothes? Why, why can I buy bedclothes? Like, surely I have enough bedclothes to get me through a few weeks. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Want the best tunes in Cork? I got them for you every afternoon. All the big names are here. I'm like Dermot Kennedy. What can I play for you? I want songs that are so pretty and pleasant. That's easy. Sorted for you. Be here in the afternoons for the best music mix, competitions, all the latest trends online and the best crack to get you through your day. Let me show you what it's all about. Send it out. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4pm on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Now, once again, there are doubts about special needs education reopening this week. It was scheduled to recommence on Thursday. The minister was all set to go. Then the INTO, the teachers union said, oh, oh, hold on, you need to reconsider that. We're not sure. We don't feel safe. I'll go into that in more detail in a little bit. But uh, Nicole Duggan uh, from My Boy Blue is on with me. How's Riley, Nicole? How is he? Is he missing school? (laughs) He's good. Do you know what? Now, PJ, he's happier, to be quite honest, at home. I'm lucky with Riley that he likes the remote learning. Um, I know a lot of families aren't in that position, but Riley, Riley's anxiety is triggered a lot by the outside world, and we've spoken about this before, like the outside world and school and kind of things like that. So what we find with him is when he's at home, he's calmest, and he his speech has come back. We were losing speech again before Christmas, so his speech has come back. So... I'm taking the wins out of it at the moment. You have to look at the positives or you go mad, do you know? Of course. Would you send him back Thursday if his school was open? Um, no, I had made the decision that I wasn't sending Riley. Um, that's a personal choice for everybody. I just think with the numbers at the moment, Riley wouldn't be able to tell me if he felt sick. He wouldn't be able to tell me if he had a sore throat or if he, do you know, if he started to lose his taste or his smell or anything but saying that that's my personal choice I think every parent should have the choice and the choice is something that I think is being thrown out there and taken back again and what they've done again this time is just they're treating families like yo-yos PJ and it's just 
it's absolutely madness. And I think this isn't at the fault of teachers. It's not at the fault of SNAs. This is from the government. It's from Joseph Madigan and from Norma Foley putting out a plan that hasn't been agreed to yet again. So they did this like two weeks ago, you know, and they saw the turmoil that it caused. I've spoken to parents in the last few days who have said to me that I've told my son or daughter they're going to school on Thursday and now there's a chance that they might have to tell them that they're not going back. You know, it's for kids and that who for, for, for certain children can cause a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of upset in the house. Hundred percent. Yeah, and it's not like it's not that it's a case of oh yes, I don't want to go back to, or I'm not going back to school. These kids thrive on routine. They thrive on school environment. They thrive on the support that they get inside there. And for someone to just whip it back again, I just think it's so irresponsible to put out a plan on yeah. t- at 20 to 8 on a Friday evening and not be seen for the weekend and literally now it has become again teachers and SNAs versus parents and that is so wrong because we're the ones who have to work together for our kids going forward um, yeah. obviously I have made the choice that and it's a personal choice because we live with a high risk family member that Riley would not be going in at the moment with the numbers the way they are but it's also now come to light, and I don't know if a lot of people know it, that if you choose not to send your child in and the schools do open, that your child will not be facilitated for remote learning. What? So if if I choose not to send Riley into his special class, it has now come out that his remote learning will be revoked because I've made the choice not to send him in. And I've spoken to principals, I've spoken to teachers over the last few days being like, this cannot be true. And they're like, it is in black and white in front of us. We have been told that this is the case. So either way, whether they open now or don't open, there is a certain group in the, in the autistic community that are not going to be taught, which is so wrong. So because I choose to keep Riley at home, why should he not be educated? Nicole, I'm going to use a word about mm. that. Yeah. That, to me, is a form of intimidation. It's discrimination, PJ, because at the end of the day, you can't say every mainstream student in the country is going to be educated. But if you choose not to send your child in to the special class um, that is open, you have no choice. So we don't have a choice, but every other child does. That's like I, I'll take I'll take the rap of him being marked absent I, like at the moment because I just don't feel comfortable with it. Um, but either way, they've set out a plan that there is a minority that are going to be punished. And I just think that it's so wrong. They actually have to take a step back, Norma Foley and Joseph Madigan, take a step back and actually look at this and be like, we need to help everybody. And it, like Adam has been absolutely amazing, like championing for these kids over the last Adam few Harris, weeks. Adam Harris, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And what has been said, PJ, about what he's doing is, is wrong like the anger is being directed towards the wrong people because they just think that like I watched in on that webinar yesterday and I've seen what was said but the anger is still being directed at the wrong people because Adam like Adam has advocated for the kids who need to go to school he's not going against the teachers or the SNAs or anything like that he's just saying that these kids kids need the routine but the final decision lands with Norma Foley and Joseph Madigan and I think putting a plan out like that at 20 to 8 on a Friday night and basically going into hiding because they haven't been seen since with regards to it is playing with families' lives. Like, and that, that counts for kids who need to go to school, teachers, SNAs, all the staff because at the end of the day we're in a pandemic. 
Do you know, like the numbers are crazy and you have to take into account that everybody has their own individual circumstances at home. But I do think that the choice should be there for families. Oh, the idea, the idea, and I'd, I'd love to develop this more with anyone who can try and defend it, but the idea that because you would choose to keep Riley home for your own mm. very personal reasons, vulnerable family member, etc., etc., that he would then be denied the opportunity to learn by remote. I'm sorry, that's a that's an absolute disgrace. Nicole. Yeah, they're saying that the all the staff will be on site inside in schools so that they can't facilitate remote learning. Stick now a webcam ha- on the laptop on the desk. That's yeah, but it's not do. even that, PJ. Like, if you sent, like, if you sent out the work that you're going doing in the class, and I know teach, I've spoken to teachers who are like, I will still be doing it with my class because I don't think this is right. I will be still facilitating the kids that are at, that are at home. But this is what's come from above. You don't have to, and then that's saying you don't have to teach them. Do you know that's wrong? Like, there has been oh kids that God. have been out of school since the very start of all this COVID, with since last March. Like, do you know, and I know that I've been speaking to people who've been saying, like, my child hasn't been able to go back to school since last March because they're either medically vulnerable or they're high risk, and that they have had Zoom sessions with their teachers, they've had um, interaction with their classmates on Zoom, all this kind of stuff. But now this is. Like, it was sent to me, I don't know how many times yesterday, and I was like, well, my son is one of them. Like, he's the one who's not going to be taught, because at the end of the day, I will be choosing to keep him at home. So You'll do, you'll do what you feel is right for him, which and is what when every parent when does. When I feel that, exactly, and that's the thing. Every parent has their own circumstances. I'm not going to come on here and say, I think everybody should stay at home, because I know there are families majorly, majorly struggling with this, and majorly struggling in the sense that their kids need this routine, they need to go to school. The choice is what's important, but the choice is now being taken away on both sides, because doing what they're doing by saying now, there's a chance they mightn't open on Thursday is leaving down everybody. If they do open, there's a chance that there's a group of kids that now will not be taught, even though every mainstream student will be taught. So if Riley was in, and this is what was explained to me yesterday, if Riley was in a mainstream setting, he has the choice, well, the principal has the choice to bring in the kids who have the highest... um, like needs to be facilitated for in-school learning from mainstream as well. So if Riley was in that setting and I chose not to put him in in in-school in his mainstream class, he would be facilitated for remote learning. If I choose in his special class, he won't be facilitated. So because of his educational setting now, he won't be. Like that's discrimination because of his educational setting. That's that's a considerable it just, discovery it just for in, us to make this morning. Yeah, and it just I'll send you over the thing, but it just puts another angle on it. Do you know what I mean? Taking away from the whole thing of should they or shouldn't they, this is a repercussion of parents having a choice. Do you know? And like you know as well as I do, PJ, the way that the system works and parents don't have a choice with anything with the system, like with regards to ASD school places or anything like that, you have to take what you get. Um, because there aren't enough school places in the country. But yet again, this is something where I feel like for me, it's a punishment. It's a case of, oh, well, you don't put your, send your child back and his class is open, then he won't, he won't get taught, which is wrong. Do you know, I just think that it's not, 
that's not the way things should be in like in 2021 as you said you can put a webcam on someone can go on during the day and send out, send out the work to them and interact with them on Seesaw like we don't have online classes as it is from Riley's school we don't have Zoom classes he's not online with his teacher face to face now she's sending out the work the work that he's gotten has been brilliant um, and he's able to do what we work through Seesaw so in a situation like that he's not actually doing a face to face class anyway I know, I know, but the know? idea that even that will be taken from him is terrible. Nicole, I know you've got another uh, meeting to get to, so I do, I do uh, appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very thank much. You. That's Nick. Cheers, and, and give him high five for me, Nicole Duggan, uh, from my boy Blue on, on Instagram. She's uh, Riley's mom. Riley, I mean, like, okay, what we've now learned is that she, Nicole, has decided for family reasons that even if Riley's school reopens Thursday, she won't send him back because. Of family reasons. He will then lose the little bit of service that he's been having. He'll be marked absent and any form of remote learning will be removed. Like, what on earth is that about? Like, the government surely have an awful lot to answer for here. Like, Norma Foley has an awful lot, and Josepha Madigan has an awful lot to answer for here. This came from on high. The schools themselves, if you listen to Nicole, would be happy to try to keep Riley supplied with stuff to do. But the instructions from on high are withdraw that service. Tis very rarely, lads, I'm lost for words. 185715996 has a massive tailback at Junction 18 by Glenmire. It's a Garda checkpoint, way slower than usual. Hey lads, we're in a lockdown. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is back. Our favourite fundraiser returns this May to raise money for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2021 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organise a virtual coffee break, a no uniform day, or gather all those loose coins with our change collector boxes. Stay listening for more details on how to raise funds. The 2021 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Nicole mentioned the name Adam a couple of times. She was referring to Adam Harris from asiam.ie. He joins me again. Adam, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Good to talk to you again. Yes, sir. I will take you up, first of all, on that point that Nicole raised. At the moment, Riley is getting stuff out from the school to help him with work at home. But if she decides for family health reasons not to send him back in on Thursday if it goes ahead that supply will stop that's wrong isn't it Absolutely, and I think one of the things, as I am, Down Syndrome Ireland, Inclusion Ireland and Family Carers Ireland have been continuously advocating for is a range of supports to be put in place for families because our children 
uh, have a range of needs and require a range of support and options at this time. Well, really the word that springs to mind in this discussion is the need for flexibility. I mean, as we've talked about in, in recent days, there's been a huge amount of blame game going on in recent days. And I just feel what we're losing sight of at the centre of all this is some of the country's most vulnerable children. And I think everybody, the department, stakeholders, families, need to come to the table and need to be open with each other, need to realise we're on the same team and try and work out what that range of solutions looks like. Because that's not what I'm hearing now. I'm hearing a lot of talking. I'm not hearing a lot of listening. And I'm not hearing a lot about the constitutional rights of our children to an appropriate education. There's a lot of division out there. Huge amount. And I think it's, you know, to be honest, one of the things that I've found most regrettable in recent days is to see how our families have been spoken to. You know, I've seen parents, when they express concern online about their children's aggression, getting very, very nasty messages and comments straight away. I attended the webinar yesterday provided by the deputy CMO and others. And the moment the webinar started, there was just nasty comments, aggressive questioning. I mean, that's not going to get us anywhere, and that's certainly not going to get anybody back into school. But I think, you know, what we fundamentally, where we, what we need today is clarity, because what we are talking about is a group of designated essential workers providing an essential service. We're talking about a constitutional right of our children to an appropriate education, and that word appropriate is very important. Mm. And we have to recognise we're not only an outlier in Europe now, but, but the education system has become an outlier. Childcare is open, adult disability services are open. Drive to Northern Ireland special schools and classes are open. So there's something not right in terms of our approach on this issue, and we need to come together because I need clarity yesterday, to be honest, not, not today or tomorrow. Minister Foley seems to be determined to, to get something going from, from this Thursday, but, but she has failed to bring, for example, the INTO on board. And, and what you see before you with regard to Thursday, the, the people that you support, Adam, would they be happy to go back into that on Thursday? Yes, I think this is the important thing to say. So we did a survey of our community along with Inclusion Ireland and Ireland prior to Christmas and 79% of our families said they would like to access in-school support to this issue raise again. There's absolutely a need for a range of supports. There's absolutely a need to recognise that some children, because of medical conditions, for example, can't come back. But what we also know is that 61% of children on the autism spectrum lost key skills during the last lockdown. And these are basic life skills that are going to have a major impact, you know, beyond this COVID-19 pandemic. They will have an impact on people's quality of life. I think put that beside, you know, articles we saw in the press yesterday about vulnerable young people, people being presenting at hospital um, in dreadful situations. And I think we need to realise this is public health data as well. The rights of the child are meant to be paramount in this republic, and we haven't heard them. I've, you know, I've heard a lot of adults talking to other adults the last few days, but what I haven't heard is the voice of vulnerable children being placed front and centre, and I think that's what we all need to be working towards. It boils back down, does it, into to us? Nothing, nothing about us without us. That's like, right. Do you feel, as an advocate for those children, do you feel you are being listened to, Adam? No, I don't think so. And I think, you know, this is becoming a power play and a blame game where, you know, success doesn't, doesn't seem to be very clearly defined by those of power in this situation. Um, what I feel is we're very much at the periphery. And what I feel is, and again, this is unacceptable in a country that's ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. I feel our families once again are going around cap in hand asking for scraps from the table. And you should never have to do that with a right. And we have a very problematic situation here that it's incumbent on both the department and stakeholders to provide. Because the reality is the education system that's operating now, remote learning, is something that the majority of learners, those without additional needs, are able to access in the short term. 
but the most vulnerable children in the state aren't able to access that service. I mean, that raises serious legal questions and it certainly doesn't reflect well on the ideals of a republic as well. All right, listen, leave it there again. Uh, thanks very much, Adam Harris from asiam.ie. Just to go over where we stand, Minister Foley was intending to reopen the special classes and special schools from this Thursday. All was going well, as far as she was concerned, until the INO issued a statement yesterday calling on her to reconsider it. Uh, They said that they don't have enough up-to-date public health information to safely go back on Thursday. Their president, who's Mary Magner from Cork, she said... Teachers are keen to get back to classes, but they're also scared about their safety and about the safety of their own families. Now, SNAs, who are also vitally important in special education, they're not represented by the NTO. Their union is FORSA, and I know FORSA is is concerned too for its members, for the the SNAs. But as we stand right now, uh, Norma Foley and co are determined to reopen some of the classes on Thursday. I'm particularly taken this morning by what Nicole has told me, that if she makes a choice for her boy to keep him home for the moment, the supply of material that has been coming to him from his school, and they're more than willing to give it to him, the school have been told to cut off that supply. Now that, to my mind, I'll use the word, People will probably think I'm exaggerating. That, to me, is a form of intimidation. Mary says, I have sympathy for Nicole, but I just want to pick up on a point. If any school shuts, you may have online learning. But if the school is open and teaching, and you decide to take your child out for health reasons, they will not do online learning, especially for you, in most cases anyway. Which is answered, Mary, by what Adam was just saying, a range of support. And before people jump up and say I'm only talking about children on the autism spectrum I am not you will remember if you were listening to Adam he also mentioned other disabilities like Down syndrome I'm talking about every child with a different ability or an additional need they all need equal consideration and if some mom is being told that bit of support you've had that has to stop and guess what it's not our choice we're being told to do it that's a disgrace in any man's language. 1850-715-996. The Cork Person of the Year Award was presented at the end of last week. It's normally a very lavish ceremony, a big fancy lunch. It's so fancy that I actually wear a tie. Yes, amazingly, I do. And, and of course, all of the monthly winners come together and the overall winner is chosen. Among the monthly winners in uh, 2020 were our own uh, Elmarie and Connor from the 96FM Arts House for their uh, support of the arts. Pat O'Reilly, traditional music legend. Pat McCluskey, a, lunch, a nurse on the front line during the pandemic. Uh, activist uh, Kate Durrant, great friend of the show. And Sarah Green, uh, the actress. Um, she was, was she in Normal People? She's been in loads of stuff with this stage. You'd, you'd, you'd run short or you'd forget something. But the winner, the uh, winner emerged uh, on Friday as Sanita Pospore world and european rowing champion she is the cork person of the year for 2020 and we've been having a chat senator congratulations uh, a winner from a very very illustrious list of monthly nominees how did it feel when you got the news last week uh thanks very much first of all um i was quite surprised i only learned about it on uh, was it 
Saturday morning uh, when I came back home from training. I, to be honest, I've forgotten all about it that there's going to be an <laughs> announcement. And uh, I just looked at the phone. There was a lot of notifications, so I looked what it's all about. And it was, yeah, I was really surprised because, I mean, as you mentioned, there's so many people doing so many good things, you know. And I wouldn't, I wasn't expecting myself to be nominated for uh, a yearly winner for that. You had a, an incredible year in 2020. You you picked up quite a, a few accolades when you could get back on the water. Um, yeah, it was like, obviously, the first disappointment was Olympics being cancelled and uh, a lot of personal struggles and everything. But, I mean, winning Europeans was probably not so much being so strong last year, but more like having a good training done over the past couple of years. And, and of course, last year as well, a little bit. But um, yeah, it was nice. It just shows the depth of the strength and strength of the Irish rowing team, to be honest. Yeah. What what was great was when we could see sport again, even in the very limited circumstances of COVID-19, when we could see things like your win and it it, it it uplifts a nation whatever it is about us Irish you know we're sports mad any kind of sport we'd watch two flies go up a wall if one of them's dressed in green <laughs> and I think that was the buzz that people got got from it Sunita you have Olympics this year assuming they go ahead well I've heard that they're definitely going ahead either with spectators or not yeah. that's a different question but yeah the I think they definitely will go ahead because we did test a few events now and I think there's a lot of protocols you can follow to kind of keep it safe enough and now the vaccines are out so hopefully half of the world will be vaccinated by then and be much safer to travel as well yeah you have big ambitions well it all depends how the work goes during the winter now i suppose but uh yeah i'd love to get some hardware home from the olympics and uh that's the plan yeah it, it is the ultimate in, in any sports person's career isn't it to, to, to take a medal at the olympics why would it be so special I don't know. I suppose, you know, if I would have stopped after Rio, I wouldn't ever thought that I can get the Olympic medal because, I mean, you have to be at a certain form and certain level to be able to compete for it. And not everybody can reach that level as well. It's If you look at it, there's so many athletes going to Olympics and only three out of each sport are going home with the medals. Yeah. You know, the... I mean, you have to be the top of the top to actually be able to do it. So it kind of sounds scary when you say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, well, fingers crossed, everything goes well. Brilliant. We're talking, of course, during a, a break in training. You're, you're hard at it. Talk to me about a training regime. What kind of training regime do you have now? Well, we're on the water, hopefully, if the weather allows every day. Um, basically, we do have about 13 to 16 sessions to fit in the in the week. So you can divide it like by seven, you know, and you're definitely going to have to do two or three sessions most of the days. Mm. Um, yeah, it's tough enough. It's a lot of miles, a lot of uh, work to do, intensity and everything. So, yeah. and we just follow the program and kind of trying to stay healthy. Yeah. That, that's probably the quite important thing at yeah, this point. Particularly in the times we live in, trying to stay, that's the last thing you want to do is get an infection. Oh yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're trying to steer clear of that now. You, you mentioned to me the strength of the Irish rowing team and it is. We, we for a small nation, 
we are damn good at this, aren't we? Oh yeah, we've become very good at this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, sure, it took Odonna wants to win the medal at the Olympics, and now everybody wants a medal at the Olympics, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like lightweight men's boat, like Paul, he he's been world champion four four times, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah he he's won every single championship since the Olympics. Like, yeah. I mean, you've a few, you've a few medals under your own belt. Yeah, but like I'm not studying as a doctor as well, you know. I'm on the whole with kids. Uh, so, and then we have a heavyweight men's team as well, kind of getting getting more people in in a team. And the boys won the silver as well at the championships. I mean, and uh, the women's sweep team now is producing really good numbers in training, so they the ones to watch out for as well. Great. Like, and lightweight women, I think this extra year for them has been actually a blessing. So, yeah, it's watch out for Irish rowing team. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's 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 very exciting times. Talk to us a little bit about yourself, uh, Sunita. Uh, you're originally from Latvia. How long have you been in Cork? Uh, I've been in Cork since 2011. Yeah, we moved purely for rowing because the National Rowing Centre is in in Farren Woods. So we kind of were told we have to live in Cork. Uh, and yeah, no regrets. Love it here. We we spent five years in Dublin. I wouldn't want to go back there at any point in my life anymore. <laughs> so yeah, I absolutely love it here. So Cork is home now? Cork is definitely home, yeah. Unfortunately, we do have to travel a lot to the airport to Dublin and then there's kind of like, yeah, it would have been handy to live in Dublin now, but then nah, Cork is so much better. We love to hear you say that, you know. Well, <laughs> congratulations, Sunita, on your win. Like we said, a very, very illustrious field, and you came out on top. Congratulations, and best of luck for everything that happens on the water and off it in 2021. Thanks very much, and thanks for having me on. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Quick reminder to you that Corks 96 then brings the Premier League live exclusively online, powered by TalkSport on Saturdays. Trevor Welsh has pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game, live commentary, exclusive interviews and post-match analysis. It's the Premier League live online with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or at 96FM.ie. 1850-715-996, the number. The text of WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. A lot of response to Nicole uh, talking about Riley, her little boy, who she will not send back on Thursday and where the school have been told that she's not to get uh, support, as in not to get what he's already been getting. Now, the school, I think, I understood from her, are going to continue it anyway, but the instructions from on high are that it shouldn't continue. I'll get to those. I have a bunch of comments all held up. So at one point there, lads, very soon, I want to go through a lot of them because we've been very busy on all our commenting platforms this morning. Also, later this hour, looking into this... A dilemma, as it were, of what to do with spare doses of vaccine. We heard from Dr. Mary Fabier uh, just there after nine this morning. And again, of course, if you missed that, 
catch up with it later on the podcast, which we put up in mid-afternoon. But Dr. Favier said, uh, literally, if she has to go outside into the street, outside her clinic, to find someone that wants the vaccine or needs the vaccine, uh, rather than waste a dose, then that's what she'll do. But obviously there has to be a protocol and a priority. We'll come back to that uh, later this hour. But I also want to start with vaccines because I'm sure that many of you listening are regulars on TikTok. I just hardly a day goes by without I opening up TikTok and have a look at it. And between the various people that you follow, TikTok is a bit like Netflix. When you start following people on TikTok, it finds you similar content. So if you're looking for stuff to make you laugh, you get loads to make you laugh. Looking for sport, you get sport. Looking for medical, you get medical. And you get some fantastic medical videos. Now, I will say this. I don't have the first notion of a clue how to use TikTok. I just love looking at it and watching it. And there's some incredible medical videos, hundreds of them about COVID, hundreds about symptoms, about what to do if you feel sick, about how the virus works, and lately about vaccines. They're short, they're snappy, they're energetic. They're kind of typical TikTok. In fact, even though they're talking about a serious item like medicine or COVID or viruses, they can be very funny sometimes. Uh, One of the people putting up videos on medicine and on vaccines is Dr. Monica Perez. Monica, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, TJ. Lovely to talk to you. Your videos, I was watching some of them this morning, really complex information broken down simply and delivered in a very friendly format. TikTok, you'd never have thought TikTok would be would be the kind of platform you could do this stuff, would you? I know, yeah. My my younger siblings, they introduced me to it. And then my young patients as well, they were like, oh, TikTok is great. I saw this there. So I was like, wow, maybe this might be a way to spread information. Yeah. So... There's a bit of learning involved, but you managed to get into 40, 50 seconds, an awful lot of information broken down really simply. Yes, yeah, because uh, yeah, it takes me a while because I have to understand it as well. And then I kind of have to break it down to a way that even though it's only less than a minute, you're still getting the point across. So I hope that um, that's maybe coming across that way. Yeah. yeah. How long does it take to make those videos? It would take about an hour. Hmm. Um, yeah, because I I have to understand it for, in order for me to break it down for someone else to understand. So yeah, and and do you try to do them in one take or or what? No, no, no. I definitely because I have there's a timer, so there are multiple takes, and then eventually you get you get on a roll, and then it becomes <laughs> then you get it. So you have to kind of start with your script and try and fit the time without a mistake. Yes. Yes. Sounds a bit like reading the news, actually. (laughs) (laughs) How do you you choose your topics? I choose my topics uh, dependent on what, because I'm a GP as well. And I think when I started to start getting my point across, especially about the vaccines and COVID and stuff, so just like questions patients were asking me. So if one or two patients asked me this question, I'm like, maybe there are other people out there that still that need to know this. And then that's basically how I choose my topic. Yeah. I suppose TikTok is predominantly aimed at a, at a younger audience. 
very important, isn't it, to share the message of good science and good medicine with younger people? Definitely, definitely. Um, even like young, <laughs> young people, they've come back to me and like, this is actually very good. Now I understand this and things like that. So it is very important because we're all affected by this. And now that COVID, the pandemic, people don't tend to go to their doctors anymore. Most people don't watch the news. So there's some way that we still need to get the message across that this is happening. This is how it works and what things need to be done. So I think it's a great tool. Yeah. Do do they understand the, the science, in particular the, the science of the vaccines? Your explanation, for example, of how the different vaccines work, doing that in a minute is brilliant. Um, do 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 they young, younger people watching you? Do they understand? Are they suspicious? Going from the same, I've got like I've got five younger siblings. Okay, four younger siblings because my youngest is ten, so he probably won't understand. But I showed them the videos, and they say they understand. And I've gotten messages as well from people that they, the feedback is generally now they understand how it works. Probably not the intricate details of like mRNA and all, but at least to understand that this is something that is not going to change your DNA. This is not that you becoming like you're not going to grow arms and legs it's basically your body <laughs> creating like immunity to this and knowing that it's not a live vaccine so i think they understand the concept of it and um, some people will understand the intricate details but i think if you understand the general idea of it then that's okay as well yeah no, you're, and I, I said this again, your ability to distill down the complex into a minute of very simple explanation is, is superb and you should be very proud of yourself for it. It's really good. And, and Thank you. I, I, it, 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 I mean, it's fabulous. Um, there's a, in the UK, they did some research and they found that a lot of younger people, particularly say 19 to 25 or so, were quite hostile to the whole idea of taking a vaccine. What kind of reaction do you find here in that age group? So far, they were initially, and it's completely understandable because at first, when when the pandemic happened, it was kind of posed that this is something that affected elderly people. It's mainly them and the young people felt immune. And then the vaccines came out under a year Nobody understanding how it came about, why it's so fast and things like that. And young people might feel, well, this doesn't really affect me anyway, so why am I going to take something that has um, that might harm me or something like that? So I think subsequently to now that with the third wave anyway, <clears throat> more young people are now receptive. I'm just even judging by my younger patients, even my siblings as well, their mindset about COVID and the vaccine is changing with more information they're guessing and also now seeing that young people are affected and it's just not the disease of the elderly so time takes people people just need time to accept this some people are never going to accept this but mm. time definitely makes people change their minds so i think young people are getting more receptive to this now yeah it's a whole new platform for for medics like yourself is it fun to do it is fun to do, and it's also fun to just even be on it and just watch the random things. I used to be, well, I'm still on Instagram anyway, so that's a different concept. Like, people have to follow you and things like that. But TikTok is just, you have no, you don't have to like anything. You don't, you just watch. You have, you just, it's just, it's fun. So I like it, and I like the fact that not just 
TikTok is you find really elderly people on TikTok as well. So yeah. it's not just for the young as well. And I think it's a great tool to spread information, yeah. the right information, and the fu- a yeah. fun way to do it as well. What I like about it, and as I said, I watch it there a couple of minutes to amuse myself most days. There's no, there's no nastiness in it. There's a lot less argument and a lot less bitching on it. You know, like Twitter or the gram. They're, they're just, it's nicer. Yes. It is nicer. The contents are nicer. But if you go through the comments, the pendants are like, like if you go through some of the comments of my vaccine at all, there are people that are like, so I'm not going to take this. Excuse me. Why should I take this? And things like that. So you still get that. But generally, it is definitely, it's a more positive um, platform, I think. So much fun. Lots of Irish people there as well. Love it. Great content. Like, you're just laughing your head off. So it's great. Have you had any patients come to you? Yes, new patients. I said, oh, I saw you on TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Your your stream. If I hope I have the right one in front of me. Now, well, there's six of your videos on it, so it must be the right one. Blondie Perez. Yes, Doctor Blondie yes. Perez. All right. Listen. Uh, great talking to you. And as I said, keep it up because because the great video is really enjoyable. Doctor Monica uh, Perez. Uh, thank you very much. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. TikTok. Uh, we've shared her TikTok uh, via Twitter. Uh, just there now. I was watching them this morning. They're really good. They are really good. Um, the idea of having to shove all that into a minute, oh, it's just, I couldn't do it in a fist, really. Uh, 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online With Now TV Stream live Premier League action With a Now TV, Sky Sports or Sports Extra Pass Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app Or see 96FM.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM Now, as I've mentioned to you um, a couple of times, we are or have been in confinement here at uh, Coogan Towers for the last couple of weeks. With a bit of luck, I will be back in Studio One on Monday, but right now still here in Studio 1.5 and have spent an awful lot of time in the house over the last couple of weeks and a lot of time looking out the window and the running track up and down Maryborough Hill. It's back, the one we had last springtime, when you could hardly move for people walking and running and jogging, and poor little dogs with their paws worn down to the bone from being walked three or four times, or worse still, a little small fat dog running behind on lead, a little small fat man, and they were just hundreds of them there. 
Um, but you'd meet all sorts of people out on your walk, your five kilometres, whether you're out in the woods or out on the, the road or running around the local GA pitch or just out for a stroll. Um, and it, it, Adrian Wickler, uh, that normally writes about technology, etc., for the Irish Indo, has been writing about the people that, that you've been meeting, Adrian, I think, on, on your little bit of exercise. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Meeting really more trying to avoid because that was what I was writing about. I, I, what I'm writing about, I live in a part of Dublin City, which has you know, a couple of nice uh, residential roads to walk down, some kind of wide ones with kind of very big paths. And so a lot of people, particularly in the evening, for very understandable reasons, they want to get out of the house, get a bit of exercise, a bit of a walk. And the problem is trying to negotiate who gets to step where on the path. And a lot of people are getting very annoyed about this. Some people regard it as a minor thing, and that's where the clash is. That The main issues arise between joggers, walkers, dog walkers, and then cyclists. <laughs> Start with the, with the joggers, particularly the guys who haven't done it before. Yeah, we, well, and <laughs> the, the, we, I think anyone who has been out on a walk in an area where there are going to be other people walking will have seen, will have experienced the middle-aged fella who has taken the advice of the New Year's resolution and is out in his O'Neill shorts and his, his socks. And you can hear him about 10 or 20 metres away it's a sort of a heavy, heavy panting, right? And uh, the thing about it is, it's good that you can hear him, but you're thinking to yourself, I don't know, it's fine, sure, he's going to come, he's going to, like, skirt around me a few metres. Not a bit of it. You can feel the sort of the warm waft of moist air go by and his, you know, his panting in your ear as he, like, literally skims by you because he doesn't want to, like, maybe, you know, maybe go on the grass or, or, or whatever it is. And so that's the first category is the jogger. And there's a lot of people, particularly on social media, who are giving out about um, those joggers. By the way, I should say that some of those joggers or some joggers are giving out about the, the walkers. They're, they're claiming, with some justification, I see this myself, that some of the walkers can be solved because they chart a path for themselves down the center of the path. Like the oh, path yeah. might only be two meters wide. Yes. And they're ambling down the middle. I call them middle of the pathers. Yeah. Have you come across the person yet who you're out for your walk, whether you're going to the shop or something, you're out, you're out for your walk and they're coming against you and, and they try to find a wall to slam themselves up against, <laughs> like something out of a SWAT team movie. Um, I, I've only seen that once. It's a little bit more prevalent around where I am are what I call the sudden stoppers. Now, let's say you're in a busy period in the walking area in the whatever residential road you're on. And there are quite a few people. And so people, if you're all being conscientious about it, you're pacing yourselves out. So you might be four or five meters behind the person in front of you. Somebody else might be four or five meters. I know this sounds very military, but believe me, it, it does happen. The problem is the person in front of you keeps checking their phone for a social social media message and they stop suddenly for about eight seconds. And it's like a, it's like a jam on the M50. Everybody has to sort of, oh, stop or skirt or go around, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah. And if you're anywhere, if your roads are anywhere like mine, where there's two, there's two busy bus routes up mm. and down my road all the time. If you do that, if you skirt around, you're likely to skirt out in front of the 220 well, bus, which yeah. isn't good for your day either. No, and this is the thing. And, and there is another scenario which causes that hazard. And I call it the, the COVID canyon creators. That's where two people who did not go out together but have bumped into each other friends or neighbours they meet each other have a chat a socially distant chat but each on the opposite side of the path now they may be two metres distant but they've now created a canyon for everybody else to walk through well under a metre right why can't they just move to the one side of the path and have the chat there anyway this is the kind of thing that I've been writing about (laughs) <laughs> and you know what? I, I, there's a, it's like a family. It's like a, like a David mm. Attenborough. Uh, let's look at who's around us. I mentioned the little, the, the little fat dog on his fifth walk yeah. of the day. But you've added another, uh, the, the dog that's on an, an 80-foot lead. <laughs> the long-leash dog walker, yes. Yeah. So that's another hazard, particularly in low light in the dark evenings. And that can be a busy time, especially if it's dry. Um, you're walking along, whether you're a jogger or a walker, and you're going by the rules, and you see what looks like a tripwire up ahead of you. And what it is, there's there's a you know a nice um, older person out walking their dog, walking Fido. The dog has been given license to roam on the other side of the path, the grass on the other side of the path, and it's like a, a sort of a hurdle slalom for everybody else. Everybody has to sort of jump over over the long lead, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's someone walks past my front door every day with a gorgeous little dog. The, mm-hmm. the, the dog, the dog isn't the dog isn't the size of your of your briefcase, but mm-hmm. the lead goes nearly back into the next street. Just, yeah, and, just, I mean, I'm I'm a dog owner myself, and and I understand it, it is great for a dog to have feel they have a bit of license to go and sniff things, but um, but not when you're you're creating a spaghetti scenario for for everybody else on the path, you know. Another phenomenon that I've certainly seen in my locality, and you point. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. To it in your article as well, Adrian, is entire families. Mm, yeah. 
which let's be clear about this is a great thing it's a great thing for a family to go out and take exercise together and spend time together the problem is that again let's go back to you know the infrastructure we all have it's say, a two meter or three meter path across and the family will fan out it's like it, it, they'll fan out four five maybe six across throw in maybe a toddler on on a you know, training wheels on their bike. Now you have like a, a roaming hazard as well. Um, it, it, that's a more difficult one because you do sort of feel sympathy for families who, who, who want to go out. You just sort of feel, couldn't somebody in the family say, look, if we come across anybody uh, uh, coming against us, we all need to go back into single file. It's quite easy. I'll give the signal and we'll all do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a good read. Five types of people you meet within your five kilometre exercise route. I think an awful lot of people will identify with. Adrian, good to talk to you again. Thanks very much. Thanks, PJ. That's Adrian Wechter, uh tech editor with the Irish Indo, but put pen to paper uh, or type to, to his computer over the weekend about the people you meet on your walk, literally up and down to the shop, you meet each and every one of the people that uh, he's just been mentioning. I, I, the ones who jump back against the wall as if you were coming for them with a machine gun. I think they're my favourites. They're my favourites. They're a bit like the people who, if you're inside in a shop, if you're inside in, in Tesco's uh, or Super Value or wherever, and you're there in your mask and you're going around getting your few bits and pieces and you know, because you're waiting at cloth mask and there might be a little bit of dust in the mask, you know there's a sneeze coming on, right? And you try to swallow it but of course you can't and you shouldn't anyway. All these people that go you're, you're doing harm to yourself like don't do that, don't smother a sneeze always let it out, it's bad that's bad for you, right? But let it out and it's probably accompanied by a cough I did that one morning, I was coming into work, did that one morning in Tesco's, about 20 past 7 or quarter past 7, I was just picking up a few bits and pieces, and I felt the sneeze coming on, and I could do nothing but let it out, and I swear to God, if I pulled a knife in front of the till, I wouldn't have got more people turning to stare at me. What about people, says this message, what about people who walk two and three abreast, and they won't budge into single file when they're walking towards someone else? says Rachel. And also, can we please discuss dog poo? Massive amounts of it being left behind here in Carrigaline. Let us please discuss dog poo. Yes, I mentioned the little fat dog and the little fat man uh, dragging the dog along on the lead. Um, You would certainly hope that when the little fat dog stops to evacuate, shall we say, as they can do more than once a walk, I wonder where they put it. Some of those small dogs are bigger on the inside. They definitely are. I know I have two of them. Some of them are much bigger on the inside. I hope they pick up after them. You need to do that because otherwise the the, the footpaths are knee-deep in poo. 1850-715-996. I mentioned at the top of the program, and I want to come back to it, this controversy over vaccines. And I, I put it out there to know what people think. I, I put it to Mary Favier. Uh, Dr. Mary Favier in our first hour, which, by the way, if you've missed our first hour, you can catch up on the podcast, which we'll put up later this afternoon on all your favourite platforms. But there have been two controversies in the last couple of days with regard to vaccines. And now it's all over the newspapers, the comment page, the opinion page, and, of course, the, the news pages. The Coombe Hospital in Dublin uh, gave out 
a number of doses of vaccines to family members of staff, including including two children or two youngsters of the master of the hospital. Um, and then in Tralee, there was another controversy over the last couple of days, which only emerges today, where extra doses of vaccine were given to construction workers in the hospital. And, and you're kind of thinking, well, is a, is a Cork hospital going to be the next where this happened or some other Cork vaccine clinic? Is there a protocol? Has it been organised properly? Or has it not? Daniel McConnell from the Irish Examiner has been looking into it today, and I'll talk to him next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork Orchestral Society's online program continues in February with Cork School of Music Emergent Artist of the Year, Brendan Gard, joined by Gary Beecher on piano for a live stream concert on the Society's website. Check out CorkOrchestralSociety.ie for further information. Access all areas. Following sellout shows for the last four years, Rebecca O'Connor is set to return to Cork Opera House with her show-stopping band and dancers to once again deliver her flawless renditions of Tina Turner's greatest hits. The show is scheduled for Friday, May 7th, with tickets on sale now from the venue's website. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up in 2021 or live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 9696 uh, led Daniel McConnell to write in the Examiner this morning that there appears to be nobody in control. Daniel, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Is that how it looks to you? It certainly does. Um, and I, I, I referenced Gabriel Scali's comments in, in relation to the cervical check, where he, he, when he looked at, I suppose, how that particular scheme operated um, to obviously catastrophic consequences here in, in years gone by. And he made the point that while there were many people and many bodies, you know, the HSC, the Department of Health and various other agencies involved, nobody was in charge. So the point is, is that when you're only partially responsible, you're not really responsible at all. Like, so therefore, no one was taking ownership of, of the issue to make sure that the system worked. Um, and I think we're, we're repeating a lot of the mistakes here. You know, there have been a lot of calls for one centralised person, be it a minister or, or a health official, some czar-like figure to kind of take over ownership or control of the vaccine process, and I think that 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 call actually has some merit, given the mm. sort of mistakes that we've we've made in the past. And well, given that Jack Lambert made that very call here on the program last week, he, he yeah. said there needs to be somebody put in charge, and they tell the government or they tell the various uh, stakeholders what's needed, and the stakeholders' job is to deliver it. On on the extras, on the fact that you're sitting there, you've just done a, a vaccination shift, as it were, and you've got a few doses left, and they will go off because they only live, or they're only useful for a certain number of hours after they come out of the fridge. The, the HSE did issue, didn't they, a list of guidelines on the 12th of January? 
Yeah, and that goes to the heart of my chaos uh, theory in terms of yesterday. So we had several ministers out on the airways yesterday talking about the need of a protocol, talking about why such a protocol was, you know, was merited as to to ensure that such kind of instances of family members and non-frontline people um, getting vaccines ahead of frontline staff shouldn't happen, only to discover that a, a protocol has been in place since the 12th of January. So that's over a week ago now at this stage. Um, but yet no one decided to tell the Minister for Health, his Cabinet colleagues, or the wider medical community. So, I mean, that just... When you're in, into that space, you know you're kind of on a... You're, you're, on a, you're on a loser, really, because, you know, public confidence in all of this public health catastrophe and, and crisis over the last year has been key to compliance and key to, you know, people intentionally, you know, pulling together and make sure that there is a, a real national effort in trying to suppress the virus. But you can see examples of that national solidarity breaking down. Look at the Wicklow Mountains last week where the Guardi were finding people and sending them away because they were outside of their five-kilometre um, you know, zone. People are fed up and they have zero patience for the sort of nonsense that we're seeing from, from government and from the HSC in relation to the vaccine rollout. I mean, we're, we're here, we're getting beaten over the head, you know, that, oh, we've 100,000 people vaccinated. Yeah, that's good and that's progress. I don't dispute that. It's still only 2% of the population. You know, if this is going to be our silver bullet, we need to really ramp up, ramp this up significantly. Um, you know, they're talking about another, possibly another 70,000 by the end of this week. I'd love to see it. Um, you know, but, you know, every sort of forecast that we've seen previously from, from the HSC in relation to matters like this have either been subject to revision or, you know, target, we keep hearing targets as opposed to delivery. So, um, and we're seeing again is this ingrained resistance to sort of proper accountability and transparency when it comes to the numbers. People wanting daily updates and politicians, even from within cabinet, said daily updates would be a good idea. All we're getting from the HTC is a commitment to two, you know, twice weekly updates, which I don't really think is good enough. You know, this is so important for so many small businesses that are literally clinging on. They've been closed since last March or have had to go through two or three different lockdowns. You know, let staff go and all the rest of it, and all the complications that go with that. You know, so any any delay in terms of the vaccine rollout can be make or could be make or, make or break for a lot of those businesses, and that's why the stakes are so high, and that's why I, I would think you know the the need for control and you know decent communications and decent sort of um, rolling you know, a, a competent rolling out of this vaccine uh, is so paramount, and and we're certainly not seeing that at the moment. You you make the point in in your piece in in the Examiner that for almost a year people have seen their personal freedoms and liberties curtailed we've lived with restriction after restriction always told time and time again that these are the sacrifices that would protect us until the vaccine became available and it is so important now that when the vaccine is out there and coming and coming in at a rate of knots we hope that there's a plan and there's somebody put in charge well, I mean, I think it beggars belief that, you know, we're still kind of still finding our way through this nine months into, the, into this crisis, that we're still, you know, not kind of, we're not, we're not match ready um, in relation to a lot of the aspects of this. Like our contact tra- tracing system has kind of come under massive pressure. So, um, so we've basically kind of stopped tracing uh, close contacts, which be- to me beggars belief. Um, you know, testing people coming into the country. If you look at what they're doing in Australia and look at all the controversies around the, US, the, the Australian Open in terms of the tennis and the hard line that they've taken, why are we still allowing thousands and thousands of people streaming into our country without a proper testing and tracing system? Why are we, uh, why did we allow in the first wave do we allow meat, meat factories, which were clearly high risk, to operate in a position where there were obviously, you know, there were significant issues and yet they were allowed to continue on uh, with impunity. But yet at the same time, we have these really, really hardline restrictions being in place on, on the wider population, you know, 
again, when there's an admission from Leo Varadkar saying that some of the measures introduced were very arbitrary, so they were unfair, that some businesses that really could have operated very safely were forced to close repeatedly, that, that just is not sustainable anymore when, when you're seeing the sort of uh, foul-ups that we're seeing from, from across the, the health system. And ultimately what we're, we're crying out for is, have we not even learned the lessons of, of lockdown one and lockdown two? Why are we still making the same mistakes? Why, why, for all the extra money that we're putting into the health service, you know, where's the tangible increase in bed capacity? Where's the tangible increase in, 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 in terms of the actual, you know, ability to get in and out of the health service? We're seeing, still, we're still seeing, you know, various hospitals under massive pressure, UL to be, you know, in particular. And we're, we just don't seem to be learning any of the lessons in terms of structural reform that we could, could be doing under a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. We just don't seem to be doing it. And that's a lost opportunity in my view. Also as well, what we're seeing, quite honestly, is um, a political system that has pandered to various interests at, at, at times. Um, yeah. and, and I don't think we've been well served by, by some of the decision making. I was one of those who championed the opening up of the economy, um, but I thought the way, the manner in which we did it in terms of restrictions was ham-fisted. I thought the idea of opening up hospitality and allowing home visits you know, side by side was dangerous. Um, mm. Well, that I went think directly against Neffert advice. Uh, what I thought the other day was Michal Martin saying, oh, if we'd known then what we know now. But am I right in saying they were told what would happen? Well, like, I mean, ultimately, I think there was a decision taken at political level in, in December that they're going to open up the country because I think there was a, a justifiable feeling. Listen, the country has been through enough. Um, I think, you know, the people need a bit of a break. And also remember, the, the government really had no choice. They had basically argued the need for the six-week lockdown in October in order to protect Christmas. Now, that was a zero-sum game, that if you do it, you have to, you kind of have to follow through on your commitment to open up. Um but it does seem that opening up so early in December and allowing so much movement around in December combined with this new UK strain, which is obviously much more virulent than the previous strains, combined to become a perfect storm, and which led the numbers to go up the way they did. I don't believe that, uh, and I haven't seen any firm evidence, that hospitality alone or the opening up of hospitality alone was the primary cause for, this, for the catastrophic spike in, in the numbers. The, the, because the, the, like, the public health experts would probably argue against that as long as the day goes down. Finally, before I let you go, in terms... In terms of our political leadership on the on the vaccines front and on where we go with restrictions, there was a sense um, after the change of government that they'd lost the dressing room and certainly coming into the second lockdown that, that the government had lost the dressing room, they'd fallen out with Neffet and they'd lost the public. Have they got them back yet or do things like what's happening with the vaccines, do, do they just distance them even further from the people? It's a very difficult one to tell because, like, you know, there's definitely a sense that the, you know, the public appetite for this um, is certainly under strain in terms of, you know, the, 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 like, whereas I think there was a tremendous appetite to do our part in the first wave and, and even to a certain degree during the second wave. Um, and But I think, you know, there were, there were sort of kickbacks and there were sort of, there was the quid pro quos. I mean, in the first wave, obviously the extraordinary rollout of pandemic unemployment payments and welfare payments was the, were, was essentially the grease that kept everyone sort of relatively happy, you know, while, while things were, were rolling out. During the second wave, it was the getting schools back open, which was obviously a huge achievement in order to, like I know myself, I have kids of school going age, to get them back into school in September was, was hugely significant for our, for our family and, and everyone alike. 
we're just, I don't, where's the quid pro quo now? Where's the sort of hope here other than the vaccine, which, you know, its rollout is now obviously in question at the moment. So, I mean, the government needs to give hope and it can do that in the greatest possible extent, oh, sorry, to the greatest extent possible by being clear and concise and confident in, in, in their performance. I think they undermine public confidence every time there's a foul up, every time there's a mistake or every time you see an instance where essentially people are cherry picking family members to get vaccinated, you know, ahead of uh, frontline workers. That just, that sort of us and them kind of mentality just really grapples and annoys the hell out of people. And, and certainly why I think that story, you know, which, which, which first broke on Sunday night around the coom, got mm. such traction because it just was, so, you know, you're kind of going, are we at this sort of nonsense again, you know? Um, and, you know, we saw it in, in Kerry, you know, with the, the construction workers. It's like, how hard is it, is, is it to ensure that your frontline people, the people who are working face-to-face with patients with COVID-19 are the ones that mm. first get are the ones that first get vaccinated. It doesn't seem to be that difficult a challenge, but yet it, se- it seems to be, you know, for those involved, it does seem to be one that they can't seem to grapple with very quickly. Okay, thanks very much. As always, Daniel, Daniel McConnell, political editor of the Irish Examiner, 1850-715-996, echoing the call that, on his column today, that Jack Lambert, Dr. Lambert, made on the programme last week, that they need to take one person and put them in charge of the whole thing and that one person, be it a minister, be it a minister, or personally just be it someone that they take from, for argument's sake, the, the, the academic side. Take, take Jack Lambert, for argument's sake, although he's probably too busy in the matter. But let's just take Jack Lambert and say, right, Dr. Lambert, you are in charge. Here is what you need to do. You need to drive this vaccine program. You tell us what we want, you need, and we'll make it happen. That's what it needs, that needs to be. 185715996. Jerry says they have a minister for the vaccines rollout in England. There should be one here as well. We're operating in an ad hoc system. And in an emergency, that just gets worse. Dr. Mary Favier said to me earlier this morning that, look, when it comes to her turn, her practice turn to, run, to roll out vaccines, that... If there's any spare stuff left at the end of a shift, then she'll literally run out into the street to avoid putting one in the bin and find someone that needs it. But it shouldn't have to come to that, uh, is the point she was also making. 185715996. Let us go back to special needs education. Uh, talked earlier on this morning with Nicole Duggan of My Boy Blue. I have bunches of comments which I will. I promise I will get to at this stage it'll be after the news at 11 o'clock but where we stand right now is that Norma Foley the Minister for Education is determined that the special needs classes and special needs schools will reopen on Thursday the INTO the teachers union says "Uh -uh, our members are too scared and these SNA's union FORSA say more or less the same thing and parents just confused and angry about the whole thing Donna Colera uh, from Sinn Féin it's uh, their spokesman on education Donica good morning good morning PJ how are you it's a mess isn't it it's an absolute mess it is uh, it is chaotic um, it is a bit of a calamity and I think who are the losers in it the losers are staff the losers are um, parents but the losers are most of all the children who are affected this has been mishandled from the start um, we had the announcement about two weeks ago um, that collapsed because none of the work had been done and now this looks as if the same mistakes are being done that people are uh, the department is trying to bounce people in and that the negotiations aren't being done properly bring this back away like I mean what should have happened right schools reopened last August 
uh, for all children and rightly so we want to see all children in the classroom where it's possible to do so what should have happened at that stage and what we were calling for from that stage is a contingency a plan b um because you know the government took the attitude that no matter how high numbers get schools are going to stay open and anyone could tell you that that's that's not a realistic position once you got to 2000 3000 numbers there was going to be a change that much is clear and the public health advice changed uh, in relation to that but what should have been in place was there was a plan b on the shelf ready to go that you had already consulted with the unions on that if there's going to be priorities and special education should be the number one priority, here's how you do it. Here's how you preserve their education. If there are children who can't benefit from remote learning, here's how you ensure that they get some kind of in-class support. None of that work was done, and there's been two attempts now to cobble something together at the last minute, and they've collapsed because they just, the department, have not done the work. They haven't the preparation done. They haven't the negotiations done. These things can take time, um, and they have collapsed and just... You know, it really is very disappointing because there's a lot of children out there who are, a lot of parents are wondering what's going to happen Thursday in terms of their special school, in terms of the unit that they might be attending. And for those children, a lot of them, you know, routine is a big thing. And if they've been told last week, if they've been told before schools are going to open, you're going to be back in school. If they've been told you'd be back in school Thursday, like, I mean, they're going to be waiting for that bus. They're going to be wondering what's going on. And it may be the case that they're disappointed. As far as I can A lot of upset and and confused kids there on on Thursday morning, not knowing what's going on. You know, like it or not, uh, the Department of Education works with some of the most powerful unions in the country and what is the do you think it's a fundamental mistake to just announce something without having sat down first with say the INTO and saying here's what we plan to do how are you with that absolutely there's no question of that like I mean that's that is how you deliver these things like I mean it's no good listen government would be easy and I'm willing to accept that the government has a hard job in managing all these issues during a pandemic and education and all the rest of it I absolutely accept that none of these things are easy it would be easy if you just announced this is what we intend to do and it just happened being a government is about delivering being a government is about uh, working with your stakeholders identifying all the issues because there are complexities it's also about doing things quickly though you, you have to do things quickly and efficiently and you can't have yeah, a, but- an overly long process well, yes, but like I mean, that like I mean, you wouldn't be trying to cobble things together if you had a contingency plan on the shelves that's operating on the basis of hope for the best and prepare for the worst. They did not prepare for the worst. There was no idea within the department about what was going to happen if cases got to these numbers. That's a that's kind of crazy when you consider that they ended up cancelling the leaving cert last year because numbers were so high and kids were in school for three months. So how is it that they never anticipated that we could be in a similar situation, that there would need to be a plan B, that there would need to be priorities, and there does need to be priorities, of course. Um, So that work wasn't done. If it had been done over the course of the autumn when schools were open, then you would have been in a position that maybe you'd have to tweak it, but you sit down with the stakeholders, and that's not just unions, that's parents' bodies, that's special education bodies, that's the management bodies, and say, right, okay, well, this is the plan in these numbers. Do we need to tweak it a bit? We do. Okay, grand, let's go. Like, I mean, that's where this should have been at, and I'm not sure it would have been terribly complicated. To be honest, if you look across Europe, it's been done in most places. They've been able to prioritise when the numbers got high. It's happening in the north, it's happening in Britain, it's happening in France, uh, but there was no preparation done for that, and it just isn't good enough, uh, and it really it really does fall on the minister and her department, uh, and I think they have really profoundly failed here. Uh, we will see what happens over the next few days. Look, I... 
I want to see uh, children with special educational needs in the classroom, but it has to be on the basis of an agreement because, right. you know... It has to be something that, that, will, that, that will work and, and, and that can be seen right. to work. Dunica, I'll have to leave it there because I'm out of time, but thank you for that. That's Dunica Lira, uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork South Central and a spokesman on education. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1850 is the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. And of course, 96fm Facebook page for you. If you want to message us, just mark your messages for the attention of the opinion line. Remember, if you've missed anything from the first two hours of the show this morning, we put our podcast up in mid afternoon. Uh, we take everything out except the talk and we run that there for about the middle of the afternoon every afternoon you can get it on Twitter first we'll tweet the link and then it goes up on the various platforms including the Cork's 96FM app some people think I'm very easy on Donica O'Leary from uh, Sinn Féin I don't think I was I just let him have his say um, I, he, he's an opposition TD he, he finds problems with the rollout of the new special needs plan for this week personally not because he's Sinn Féin or not I, I, I can't I can't disagree with him it is a mess you only have to look around to see that it's an absolute mess and they were being too hard on the government yeah. maybe you agree maybe not I don't know I, if, if someone wants to try to tell me that the government are doing a wonderful job then do you know what? The government have enough spin doctors and enough press officers and enough people to get a spokesperson on the phone to tell me why the government are doing a wonderful job here. But this call says the teachers are ruling the roost through their unions. It's supposed to be an opinion line, but anytime someone living through the situation voices an opinion that the teachers should teach the students, they get criticised, condemned or ignored. I know there are good teachers. I'm not anti-teacher. I'm anti-militant teacher and I'm against unions that want to show their muscle. You have to understand there are people who are giving their children to elderly, vulnerable parents so they can work on pain of losing their job just to protect a teacher in his or her 20s. Some teachers may need protection, but so too do children or or vulnerable parents, not to mention the damage being done to the children's education. I'm not disagreeing with you for a minute, caller. Not for a minute, am I disagreeing but what seemed to happen a number of times in the last few weeks was the Department of Education announced a plan but they never consulted properly with the unions and the thing about consulting with the teachers union there were various elements of society where you just can't ignore the unions one of them being the Department of Education because like it or not and I'm not saying I do and I'm not saying I don't like it or not you have Definitely two and arguably three very powerful and influential unions there. And if you can't politically keep them on board, you're goosed before you're off the blocks. That's, that, that is the, the big problem. On special schools and special education, Nicole was on earlier telling me about Riley. She's keeping Riley out on Thursday. Paula says Nicole is great at getting our voice heard. Again, our children are being discriminated against. Our children are not being given a choice Parents are fighting every day to get their voices heard. Mark and Bantry, whatever those parents do on Thursday, they need to unite. Don't do anything on their own. Strength in unity. 
uh, says Mark in Bantry. Hi PJ, my son's in a unit, ASD unit. I'll not be sending him back just yet. Numbers of cases are far too high. I've been told by the principal of the school that it's the parent's choice to send them in or not. If I'm not going to go into school, they will send his work on Seesaw, as they've been doing all along. I don't believe all schools will not support the kids from special classes who choose not to return. That's something that Nicole raised. She's been told by Riley's school that the instructions from on high are that any home-based assistance that the kids are getting is supposed to stop once the schools reopen. Not every, not every school will go along with that, but that seems to be the message coming down from on high. Antoinette says, credit where credit is due. All my kids, including my childhood special needs, have live online classes every day. Casey's SNA is in every single class if she needs help. If she needs to ask a question, she has a separate room to ask. I've never been so stress-free, says Antoinette. And Dee says, listening to Adam, Adam Harris, and Nicole, a voicing on behalf of the son, it highlights the divide in the society. Red tape nonsense inflicted by Norma Foley and our outdated guidelines that don't cater for anything makes me angry as I feel we're being divided and discriminated against. Gary, all kids back to school or not, they all need structure and routine. I have a 12-year-old who's struggling mentally because of all of this, but their health and everyone else's health is more important. You can't learn if you're in a hospital or dead. Amy is a teacher and sent us an email. We're all trying so hard and working as best we can for our students. But to be asked to go into schools when Dr. Tony Houlihan appealed that all employers should facilitate employees to work remotely. Why are we as teachers and SNAs not considered in this? It's far too risky. I know children with special educational needs would benefit from being back in school, but when it is safe to go back, all we're asking for is to look out for all of our safety. This is not about teachers against parents, and that's the worst part of it. It's not about teachers against parents. It's about a policy. And you can see where Amy's point is. Dr. Houlihan is on the news. He was on the news again last night and the night before, saying, if you can do your job from home, you must do your job from home. You shouldn't be going out to work if there's an alternative. And yes, hundreds of teachers and SNAs being expected to go into school this week and teach. And teach as if everything was okay. When it clearly isn't. The schools themselves open until, or closed rather, until the end of the month. But the special educational classes back because the kids are losing out. But they, you, need, you have to bring everybody on board. Like... My husband's a bus driver for special needs students. He collects his assistant and five students every morning. He's sitting on the bus for an hour with all of these households. What about him and the other bus drivers? What about their worries and their concerns? People are very concerned. In my ignorance, I cannot figure out the difference between medical staff and teaching staff regarding the danger of contracting the virus. The medical staff are getting on with the work. God help us if their unions stop them from going to work. All frontline workers are at risk. Thanks, PJ. Hmm? It's okay. Uh, I am disagreeing with that teacher, says militant unionized teacher Graham. <laughs> 1850 715 We're open to any views that you have. Getting back to Adrian Weckler. Kev from Miami Bridge? 
I'd say Menanbridge. That looked like a nice little misspell. Yes, it is. Menanbridge. Miami Bridge. All these bedwetters complaining about how busy parks and walkways are. Do they not realize they're there too? Or are they just being entitled snowflakes? Just get on with your life. Don, good morning. Are you an entitled snowflake? Not at all. How are you doing, TJ? I'm all right, bye. That's I'm good, all right, that's good. What, what have you seen out on your walk? Yeah, I suppose, you know, it's just what Adrian was saying there with the walking, you know, and stuff like that. We're all out and about and taking in, you know, getting the mental health side of it and clearing the head, you know. But, you know, his points there resonate with me is that, you know, people are out walking. That's fine. We're all entitled to do this, you know. But it's, it's when you come up, you know, normally we'd go to the Lee Fields, now there's a grand walk along the river, you know. Uh, the scenery there with St. Kevin's and the old... Uh, oh, it's lovely, yeah. Yeah, it's nice, you know. And uh, But, you know, it's like you're doing the shimmy when you're going up the footpath, you know. There's people, you know, they're three abreast and they're looking at you and you're looking at them saying, you know, is he going to go left? Is he going to go right? You know, and uh, it's just up in the heap. Even though it's marked out, some people don't get it, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, you can't just step off the path because at the moment the Lee Fields is a sea of mud. Yes, yeah, and there's a sea of everything else as well, you know, with the dogs up there and people not picking up, as you said, you know. Yeah. But, you know, people are out there getting the, the, the mental health side of it, as I, said, as I said, you know. But, you know, the footpath out there, it's not the widest, you know, it's not two metres, you know. Yeah. And then you have the joggers flying past, and as, as Adrian was saying, you can hear them breathing, you know, the heavy breathing in your ear. Oh, that's fine. And, you know, again, why don't they go the up the roadside? Well. Ah, uh, here, yeah, the phone is unbelievable because, you know, I was reading there before, PJ, that, you know, it was a study either Oxford or Leicester University did that, you know, when you're out for your walk, and especially now, you know, again, with the mental health side of it, we go out and break away, but, you know, people with their phones and they're waiting for that ping to come in, you know, it's it's have to be proven that you're wasting your time, you know, to clear your mental health and going out with your phone waiting for a social media ping, it's just waste of energy, you know, because yeah. you're... You know, when you're going for the walk, you, you switch off. You know, you take in what's around you, and then what's around you, and inside. Now, we all bring our phones, I, I do myself, to take a photograph or whatever with the children, or, you know. But, you know, for this social media thing, for the ping, it's it's pointless, you know, taking the phone with you and trying to get mm. that mental health side, that mental health break, you know. You, but, mentioned, yeah, the do- you mentioned the dog poo, and we did get one, one message uh, referring to a particular bridge. Yes, yeah, Sunday's Well Road covered in dog waste from the North mm. Mall all the way to Thomas Davis Bridge. Plenty of people just leaving their hounds do their biz all over the place. Yeah, you know, you look at Blarney Street is the same. Half of your road where I'm living up in Ockenheaney, it's like an absolute minefield. You know, you, you're never mind the, the shuffle with a pedestrian coming on to you, but trying to get around it, the dog muck is unbelievable. I was out the other day and the, the, the craziness of it all, TJ, is that there was this lady with a Bichon, lovely little dog, a bag in hand, the dog done his business and just pulled the dog on. You know, yeah. she had a pool bag in her hand and she didn't even go down to pick it up. You know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, pick up after your dog. Like, you know, right. it's just crazy. And People you know, forget children, that's an offence anyway. It is, and it's very dangerous because, you know, if a child falls in this and pokes their eye, you know, there was a case before where a child lost an eye because... It's the thing called toxicaricanus. It's lethal. Thank you. It's yeah. lethal. And, you know, it has happened. It will happen again. You know, pick up after your dog, you know. Because mm. at this stage, you know, you not, see not the Not to mention the poor devil in the wheelchair. And you don't need me to describe what happens. Yeah. 
definitely. And I, I'm in that game. I'm in the, I'm in the mobility sector. And uh, I see it. And, you know, they're saying to me every time, why don't they pick up? Why don't they pick up? They're dragging it into the house then. They may have a child. And again, the same thing, you know. But yeah, I, I don't get it. You know, walk the dog, bring a bag, and to leave it there with the bag at hand. It, it, it's mindless. But yeah, I think the Lee Fields is a good walk. You know, it's a busy, busy spot, you know. So, mm. you know, it's marked out as arrows on the, on the ground, you know. Walk on the right, mm. come down on the left. You know, yeah. it's... But you know what, we're all trying to look after our mental health, and I appreciate that. But the only thing I, can, I will say is, if you're going for a walk, turn off the social media, leave it. You know, your walk is pointless. If you're on the phone yeah. when you're out, you know, or even taking a call, wait till you come home and, and pick that call back up, you know. All right. Good man, Don. Thanks for the call. Appreciate yeah, it. 1850-715-996. Our Terry is a, an avid jogger. Uh, takes a run most days, I think. Uh, he says, when I'm jogging now, I slow down and I walk past people if there isn't enough space to go around them properly. My personal best for the 5K is knackered as a result. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors Leading the way for Toyota hybrids The place to order your 211 Toyota See lehanmotors.ie So you've got a smartphone or tablet Then get the must-have app So you can take us everywhere Download the Cork's 96FM app today And listen to your favourite shows on the go Grab our podcasts And get all the latest Cork news And if you have a smart speaker Speaker. Ask it to play Cork's 96FM Play Cork's 96FM Okay On your phone, tablet, smart speaker And radio Turn up the volume We are Cork's 96FM This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083-396-9696 On Cork's 96FM Now whatever about going out for your walk and avoiding dog poo and trying to um, you know keep your distance from the strange people out walking with you another question that arises is how do you keep active sporty youngsters occupied during a lockdown like this because their training sessions are gone their games are gone getting together with their buddies to kick a ball or slap a hurley around are gone play basketball gone you know the weather isn't helping either so so how do you keep them from climbing the walls and, and driving you demented and driving themselves demented because sporty kids love their activity well rebel Og coaching has put together a series of videos to help youngsters to keep fit and to keep healthy and to pass the time. And uh, it's got all age groups involved and some very well-known players involved in the videos. Kevin O'Callaghan is the Games Manager for Rebel Oak Coaching. Hi, Kevin. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Good. Looking looking at some of these this morning. They're nice. They're good. They're well put together. Um, and they're just a, a simple idea to give youngsters ideas. Because like I mentioned there, like, sporty kids are, are really affected by this lockup. Ah, they are. Um, it's, it's very hard on them at the moment, you know. And uh, look, I work with uh, Cork GA, as you said. Uh, we fix uh, games development administrators. They're development officers uh, working on the ground across the county. Um, the first lockdown way back in March we put together some videos uh, and we targeted club players at that time because they couldn't obviously uh, train in their clubs but we targeted club players and 
it went down well. Um, the feedback was good and the, the, the hits on the, the videos were, were very high. So uh, we, we had coached uh, from September right through to Christmas in schools uh, around the county. And obviously when we came back after Christmas, uh, with the lockdown, we said we had to do something for the kids around the county. So what we decided to do was we decided, decided to target the, the primary sector this time and make the, the stuff more inclusive, I suppose, because uh, the skills videos that we would put together last year would have been more specific to hurling and football skills. So yeah. uh, we said that there would be a, a need for from teacher's side as well at primary school level to to maybe include a, a P element in the, the content that they were rolling out. Uh, and obviously, suppose if you're if you're a teacher at the moment and you're trying to keep uh, children active through Zoom calls or Teams calls or, you know, webinars, it can be challenging. So what better activity than to actually get the kids up and moving around? And, and the beauty of it is uh, it's not just GA-specific content. It's, it's open to all kids, so anybody can do it. And, you know, it, it's based around fundamental movement skills and fun being the key word in there as yeah. well so we're focusing on running it, it seems to be stuff practice. you can do out the backyard or, or up against the side wall you, you don't need a lot of space you don't you don't need a lot of equipment and you don't need a lot of space and that's the beauty of it so on a day like today where it could be rainy outside if you if you've nowhere to go uh to keep you dry you can probably do most of this activity inside and you can adapt it yourself as well so so it's, it's it's open to all really and that that's what that's where our aim was to make it fun but to make it accessible as well because obviously in January we're not going to have blazing sunshine every day so we just try to try to keep it as simple as possible but look there's obviously huge benefit to, to this activity if, if kids are doing it because you know look you know yourself as you get out for a walk and I know you were talking about jogging earlier there as well you know just just such a feel good factor and a good vibe out of it and look even if they're returning into to mainstream academic classes afterwards, you know, online, just the, the concentration levels and everything are going to be are going to be better. And look for so that couple of minutes that they're, or maybe twenty minutes that they're doing these exercises, they're living in the here and now, and that that's yeah. a good space to be in, you know, isn't it for the head? So. Whereabouts can people find the videos, Kevin? So if you you can log on to the Rebel Oak Coaching Twitter feed, and the, the links are all in there. Um, they're also on our YouTube channel, Cork GDA Coaching. So they're in there as well. So Rebelo Coaching, GAcork.e, they're on all of those uh, sites. Excellent. Oh. All right. Well, nice, nice bit of work and good to keep kids occupied at a time when they'd normally be, be out trying to exercise and trying to play hurling and football. And like you say, it, it, it applies to any sport, athletics or rugby or soccer, or GAA, basketball. You can put these skills to use for any sport good to talk to you Kevin that's Kevin O'Callaghan uh, Games Manager from Cork GA Rebel Oak Coaching a series of videos to keep uh, those sporty youngsters occupied on the people out walking uh, Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh has been in touch there are blue vests available for people who go out walking and are especially vulnerable and would like uh, more distance around them um, and they're a good idea. They're available from Cork City Council through the local community centre. Uh, he sent us a photograph of them. They're blue, and they have, uh, on the back of it, they have the two-metre logo that we're familiar with now, and keep a safe distance. And the blue is to indicate that the person walking in front of you or walking, sharing the footpath with you, that they're a little bit more vulnerable and they would like a little bit more space. And I think the request is that you would... Um, 
you would observe it. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. I'll come back to teachers and schools and special needs education and more uh, before we finish today. A lot of people still saying I was too easy on Donica O'Leary and didn't push him as to what he would do. But he did say what needed to be done. He said there needed to have been a plan B and that plan B, plan B needed to have been written down and agreed with all stakeholders, not just the unions, months ago. Now, you can't argue with that. You can't argue with that, unfortunately. People would like me to, but you can't. There should have been something written down and put aside and the unions would know about it and everybody else would know about it months ago so that if it all goes belly up as it has done that here's how we start to get out of it. And clearly that was never done. I'll come back to it. 1850-715-996. Now there were hundreds of weddings cancelled during 2020. I remember at the very start of all of this talking to people who we're considering what will we do with our wedding? Will we cancel it? Will we reduce it in size? Will we rebook it for later in the year? And then when it got to later in the year and things still weren't right, will we just do it reduced to 25 or to 50? I was at one wedding myself in the whole of 2020, a uh, wedding of my good friend Gareth O'Callaghan and Paula. Uh, we had it, uh, a lovely day, but that was very reduced in numbers and there was a lot of restrictions in place at that wedding. But many, many weddings cancelled during 2020 and rescheduled for this year uh, and maybe rescheduled a second time because they can't now, they couldn't get the, the autumn date. The restrictions didn't allow. I can see one big problem with this year is that the, the weddings that have been rescheduled are going to have to jostle for position with weddings already booked. For 2021 and there will have to be some changes there there'll have to be a lot of compromise and of course it's a buyer's market prices could go up sarah kennedy is the founders of the area the founder of the irish wedding blog dot ie and has been looking into this and reckons that an awful lot of could go up including the cost sarah good morning good morning pj thanks for having me delighted assuming that we do get back to some sort of a schedule for weddings this year and there's still no guarantee it'll be the summer anyway like i'd say the summer mm -hmm. is already booked up the wazoo with cal uh, cancellations from last year and stuff already booked for 2021 yeah, like there, there's, it's quite a buoyant market at the moment. There's a lot of movement in it, and it's it's not to be a, in any way alarming. It's just there are movements um, going on. So some people that may have postponed out are kind of getting that fatigue at the moment that they're actually pulling back and just going with it. They just want to be married, and then there's others that have postponed and not just for the second time, maybe third or fourth time to try and get the date that they want, um, and not necessarily being consumed with, oh, I want a wedding of 100, more in the kind of adapting to who can be there in, in yeah. terms of, of guests. Um, but look, naturally, when it comes to weddings and, and majority of, of the hospitality industry, prices would raise any year, every year anyway. Um, so prices will go up into the next into the next year, um, no more so than they would under normal circumstances. But I think what's happening across um 
you know, that price piece for couples just to, to be mindful of is really just making sure that there's flexibility in their contract when they do go to book their wedding because as you say PJ yourself like you know we're looking at into the summer because we're we're in probably the worst part we could possibly be at the moment and it's very hard to see clearly as to where we're going over the next couple of months so I would feel that there's a lot of positivity out there in the industry in terms of vaccinations coming on board and I know there's criticism around that but there is a lot more positivity coming into it this time than there was say this time last year when we were kind of in, in great uncertainty so there is positivity there so what I would say to couples just to give them that peace of mind is that things are starting to settle people are feeling that little bit more positive about yeah. um, about moving and a lot of couples what I'm saying to them is there's, there's great um, stress and it's an overwhelming stress just this feeling of uncertainty because nobody has the answers it's not like somebody knows what's going on in the background that knows we're going to have 100 by June nobody knows this so what I'm saying to couples that you know, irrespective of what the numbers could be, don't make your decision of getting married based on numbers. If you're chronically stressed, postpone where you can be guaranteed a little bit more certainty with a higher volume of numbers because we we know that the longer we, we, we go, the, the more assurance we have with this. But um, I, I think that's the key thing is just to try and remain, do what's right for you and your stress levels. If, if just yeah. getting it done is right for you, go for it, you know? Let, let, let's assume and it would be a, a dangerous assumption to make, but let us assume that by, say, June, July, okay, things can start to get back to some semblance of normal. That's a big <laughs> assumption now before anyone starts jumping on me case over it, but let's assume, for the sake of the story, as my wife says, um, the first thing is there's going to be a huge shortage of space in the venues. How are people going to deal with that? So with, with the venues, a lot of people have kind of their dates now. If you're getting married in the summer, because that's the big thing with the, with the wedding, is that you need a bit of lead time, lead, lead time into it. So a lot of people have their kind of, whoever's getting married this summer, they have the date locked, but some of them are kind of toing and froing about, should I move, should I stay? And um, so if couples in that case say, okay, I want to now make a decision to get married this summer, or some who have postponed out to 2022 want to pull back. There is availability in 2021 from what I can hear and there's a lot of movement. So, you know, there's, like I'm hearing from venues that are saying, you know, I had this girl here and this groom here and then they've moved and then they've moved and then they've moved again. So there is movement. So it's really good just to connect with the venues that you're yeah. interested in to see where does it, when the dates come up, prime dates particularly, like a, and when I talk prime dates, I'm talking Friday, Saturdays in, in the summers. It's just to stay connected and see what your options are. But I would also not be deterred particularly this year with going midweek and I know that there's so many out there that would be saying oh god midweek but I can assure you I've worked in weddings as a wedding coordinator we would have had in the venue I was in we, we could have had you know wedding day set, wedding seven days on the trot there is no difference in atmosphere midweek versus um, weekend and I know when you get that wedding invitation as a guest you're saying oh god a Tuesday I have to take two days off but yeah. I I personally never saw any um, upset or any kind of disgruntlement with, with guests that are going midweek. And also it's a lot more cost um, friendly. You can reduce by up to nearly, in some venues I've looked at, €20 Euro ahead by going midweek. And that's substantial. Wow. So, yeah, you know, there, there are pros with it if you're, if you're open to doing that and are just really want to get married. And I always said, and couples have said this back to me, is, you know, when you go midweek, it's really a kind of a, you know, those who really want to be there will be there. 
And that's yes. not to, to say those who really want to be there aren't in a position that could go because work and, and different commitments and schools, kids in school, etc. But it is just, a, I thought that was a nice anecdote that somebody said to me before. Should we assume, Sarah, or should those planning a wedding assume at least that we will have number restrictions for quite some time? Look, I, I don't know, but from what I'm hearing, so like if I look at what, you know, the, the, diff, the various ministers are saying, I would be... I'd be led to believe that we are looking at, um, we are going cautiously through the re- to the to the rest of the year. Um, the roadmap that's currently in place around wedding numbers um, brings us to June. It was a six to nine month roadmap, and, and I think the nine month is most realistic. Um, so I would say that yes. Look, I think it would be it would be overconfidence to assume that you know we'll get to the summer and then all the all the wheels come off. I think that there will be some level of restriction to get us cautiously back. And once vaccinations are in line and we get this out of the country, I think that's really where where we're going to be. You're probably looking at best. I would suspect going back. I think under level one of the five point plan. Remember that five point plan they brought out in the autumn. Under level one of that, you could have a hundred people at a wedding. Exactly. That's as much yeah. as we can expect. I think. Like I, I look. You know, I would, I would tend to agree. Look, I would love to say by you know those New Year's weddings coming in that we'd be back to some sense of normality. It's just we just don't know. I think it's really yeah. difficult when you're in the current level we're in because we've such a mountain to climb. We have to get out of six you know, six people, and then we have to get to 25, and then we have to get to 50, and there's a huge leap between 25 to 50. A lot of work there, a lot of work Huge, huge In terms of it, like, keeping in touch with your venue, and when you speak to a venue about, first of all, booking, how important is it to keep in touch with your venue with regard to COVID restrictions and how they're operating around them? Well, a lot of venues are very, very good. They're very proactive, and they're letting their couples know kind of, you know, they're being proactive insofar as they're getting to couples before couples need to even ask that question. But um, all venues and all hotels in Ireland, they are following all of the guidelines from, to my knowledge, to the letter. Um, IHF have done a great job in terms of breaking down and Fall to Ireland, breaking down what those restrictions mean and how to operate in this environment. Um, so you can be guaranteed that any of the members that are, you know, members of IHF, they are following what what they have to do so i wouldn't be worried about the, that restriction and um, that they're all following the guidelines um the majority are from what i can see um but if you've any concern it's just really getting your your mind settled and it is just popping off an email to your wedding coordinator and asking look how are you handling this what does it look like and what i know what i do know is there's a lot of venues that are doing virtual show around so they are doing um kind of walking people through the property to show them okay and we have a hand sanitizing station here your guests will come here they have to be seated and we can table serve them there you know so they, they do have all that that they can help the couple just come to terms with it but from the feedback i'm getting from couples like it's not making it's not taking away or detracting from the joy of the day yeah. so yeah. like while it sounds very prohibitive and it sounds like oh god these restrictions it sounds more daunting going into it than it is coming out of it um so i would it just seems that contact and communication are key they really are and i you know that that would be a wedding anyway because you know you've so much riding on this one day you know emotionally and financially etc so look communication is key and do what you have to do and i say that to a couple is that you know a lot of couples message me and they're they're so stressed out they're so wound up and and i like a lot of the time my advice is have you spoken to your venue and it's no i haven't i was worried about this you, that's what your venue coordinator is there for. They are there to give you peace of mind, to assure you and to guide you through this process. 
so that you have the best wedding day you possibly can. That is their job and they are happy to do that. So it's just staying connected within reason and, and just, you know, when the, when the stress starts creeping up, it's just check in, you know, just check in with them because it's amazing. Just one email back or a phone call back can just completely put your mind at ease and give you that sleep that you've been, you know, um, you've been missing the last few nights and I think I think CJ that's the other thing is the stress it, it's whatever about you know the kind of just navigating your way through this is the stress is quite quite prominent with a lot of brides at the moment just coming particularly those coming into the summer and yeah. what I would say is just try and just go with the flow if going with the flow doesn't suit you then maybe consider postponing but you know look for the joy in weddings because so many are coming yeah. back feeling that they're, they're missing out on the joy and and I think that's that's one of the pieces I was really conscious of when I do my, you know, my Q and A's on Instagram, just to give that little bit of reassurance and positivity. And then, you know, I've also made a conscious effort, you know, to try and bring the positivity, whether it's finding a really cool new supplier that's doing something brilliant, or I've put together a podcast that has. Yeah, um, She's going to get to that weddings, actually. Weddings with you Sarah. Know, so that's it. It's real weddings with Sarah, and basically, what I what I talk about with that is I I talk to celebrities um, about their own weddings and marriage, um, both international and Irish um, celebrities, and you know it's just been so lovely. And there's some beautiful tips and learnings. Like I did um, the first podcast with the Chupi Sweetman, who's um, the you know the the goddess that has Chupi jewellery, and you know she gave some great advice, and I think it really sticks very true to those who are worried about numbers. When she was picking um, her guests for her wedding, she said, I'm only going to invite the people that mean the absolute most to me, the ones who I could call at 2 a.m. in the morning needing to be brought to hospital or, you know, something like that. Mm, yeah. And I just thought that was really strong advice um, because it's perspective. And when you do have to strip everything back to, you know, that that, that root level with the wedding, it's, you know, it's not that bad. You know, you can, you can definitely overcome it and, and have a wonderful day. Okay. All right. Listen, and that's your Real Weddings with Tara podcast is on all the platforms. And you've also got a book, The Ultimate Wedding Planning Guide, right. on the blog, irishweddingblog.it. You're a, you're a busy woman, Sarah I'm Kennedy. I'm flat out. Flat out, PJ. <laughs> Good talking to you. Thanks very you much. Too. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. 1850 715 And before anybody starts at me, people are dying. We know. People are in hospital, we know, but people also want to get married. And last year, they cancelled their weddings, and this year, they're hoping the weddings can go ahead. And you know what? This time last year, well, with some exceptions, we all thought we'd be grand by now. We did. And we're not grand. We're anything but grand. So people who had, for example, rescheduled a wedding for this April instead of last April, what are they going to do? And yes, they are entitled to be worried and bothered about. It's going to return to special needs education, whether or not it can or cannot restart this Thursday, which I think people who were annoyed about teachers in general are missing that point, that there's no certainty there for anybody, which is the problem. Caller says, I'm so annoyed with Sinn Féin politicising this issue of special needs pupils. Months ago, we didn't have a UK, Brazil, South African variant. The government have plenty to do and things to consider without exhaustive consultations with teachers and their unions. Myself and so many of my friends have stopped listening to radio talk shows because of the endless second-guessing and politicking by Sinn Féin during the crisis. It's okay in normal times. They are the opposite.
opposition and it's their job. Right now, though, we need leadership and unity. Can't the teachers work with the government plans like so many other parts of society have done and modify as they go along? And can't Sinn Féin understand that? And another one, PJ, it's not just the teachers who are protected when the schools are shut. It's the vulnerable students, their elderly and vulnerable family members, the ancillary staff, the SNAs, the caretakers, the bus drivers, and dare I say it, the parents who drop and collect at the school gates and chat with each other, devoid of masks. Many thousands of people are kept apart when the schools are kept shut. The vast majority of teachers would prefer to be physically in front of their classes than encountering them on Zoom. Google, classroom, etc. It's not a black and white situation. There are lots of grey areas. And you remember the original idea to close the schools was to keep a million and a half people by moving it from moving around every day. You want to bring several thousands, several tens of thousands of them back, though, over the next couple of weeks. Um, so there, there's that inconsistency. Let us go to Karen O'Mahony from the Rainbow Club. Hi, Karen. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. Happy New Year to you all there. <laughs> and to you. Delighted, delighted to talk to you again. Um, I suppose the, the biggest problem for, for parents would be the uncertainty of what is happening or not happening on Thursday. Yeah, I, I suppose, look, we, a lot of our parents here were expecting this anyway. I don't think it was set in stone, and I think a lot of, of us knew that it wasn't set in stone, that there was nothing really positive. There was still, you know, even though a lot of things came out on media, Facebook and Twitter, um, and the news, you're following it, but you're still very pessimistic, and a lot of our parents and families are still very pessimistic, and they were um, all week. Um, I suppose, really... For, for a lot of our families here and, and for, for us as well, I suppose I'm, I'm still a parent of two boys with, with autism um, and I suppose the, the, the uncertainty, it, it's very, very hard to be able to navigate that in the family environment where the children don't understand. Mm. Um, could and could a better job have been done in communicating what was going to be tried? Yeah, I think I think definitely more information about how they were going to do it um, and the, the safety around it. I, you know, I think a lot of people are are missing the point. Has been watching a lot of feeds and um, and people thinking, you know, especially these parents say, "Oh, my child is routine," and you know, comments like, "Oh, it's not a babysitting service." We we know it's not a babysitting service, and. Um, my, my, you know, my God, all of all of our families look after their children. They have, you know, they, they're wearing their children, but they're wearing them in a different way because they have a lot more needs to watch your neurotypical child would. And I suppose mm. we have a family at home that have, you know, two two boys on the spectrum, and I have a son and daughter that aren't on the spectrum. So we've lived both of these um, these uh, environments, and it isn't really easy to be able to manage that. Where children are very much about. School is school and home is home. When they go to school, this is what they do. Um, trying to filter it and trying to, to dilute it and mix it, it's not working. It won't work for our children because yeah. they don't understand that. Who, you know? who do you and blame for the lack of communication, the lack of certainty, Karen? I, 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 think, I think the onus has to be here on, on the government and the unions, the teachers' unions together. Um, you know, they, they need, everyone needs to be adults here. We all need to sit down. They, they need to sit down and get a proper um, commitment. And, and, and in none of this, so, you know, the Department of Ed saying one thing and then the unions come back and say, well, no, we're not going to do that. You haven't consulted us, you know. Um, I think mm. everybody needs to sit down together and they need to look at this, um, 
you're you're talking about a lot of homes here that are, are broken and fractured. It's a case of who is speaking for the children, who is thinking about the children. Well, there's nobody, the there's nobody, yeah, there's nobody looking yeah, after the, the children's needs, except the parents, except the parents. and the parents have yeah. been ignored here, you know, and advocacy groups will always step up and say, this is what our parents want, but I mean, we have 500 families here who haven't asked you know, their opinion hasn't been asked at all. We haven't, you know, I suppose every day they come in here, they're frustrated, we're upset over them, we're all tired, we're tired and we're worried because we're all trying to manage in the middle of a pandemic and that's not easy. Um, but we have parents here that are getting two hours sleep a night and, you know, that's, that's not mentally and emotionally, physically, that's not, that's not safe, it's not healthy. And, I only know, I have about 30 seconds easy. left, Karen. Yeah. Briefly and, um, and lastly, do you think I, the schools will open Thursday? I don't think so, no. No, I don't think so. Um, I think there'll be a lot. And, it, you know, I, I would hope if they are going to open that they stay open, but they don't open and then close again. If they're going to open, they need to have a, a proper agreement and open. If there's any doubt there, then don't open. We, you know, give us, give everyone a chance to, to know exactly what's going to happen and then put a clear plan in place. But everybody needs to be adults here and, and talk. For, for no reason other than time, I need to wrap it there. Karen, thanks no very bother. much. No bother, thank you, PJ. Thank Cheers, you. Karen O'Mahony, CEO of the Rainbow Club. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry Wayne Hilton on the desk back at base. And we shall see you tomorrow, just after nine.